date to your potential, inspiring, educating, and empowering single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our hosts are Peggy Matheson, betrayal trauma recovery expert, and Sharon Collier, certified life and relationship coach. Hey, everybody. Um, We have a follow-up from last week. Last week's podcast, we talked about, are you making room for miracles in your dating life? And I have sitting here in front of me a couple that has experienced a lot of miracles to get to where they are today. They're married. This is um, Carrie and Watson Lafferty. Now, I go ahead and say hi real quick. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So... um, this is episode 70, by the way. We're super excited that we've hit 70. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So um, Watson and I actually worked together in the temple, and I had an opportunity um, to have him come over to my house through another friend, that, and another friend also came, priesthood holders, to my house. I, I live alone um, because I'm single and my kids are all grown, and I needed um, some help with um, some... Um, spiritual warfare, let's call it that way. And so I needed some priesthood. I needed a blessing. I needed my house blessed. Um, and that's when I got to be introduced to Watson and a little bit of his story. And I was just fascinated and love these men that have shared their priesthood and their stories about how they have dealt with um, the negative and dark energies of the world. Let's put it that way. But also they have, Carrie and Watson have a story themselves. So I want to start with Carrie. Will you tell us a little bit about your story and, and how where what happened before and how you met Watson and some of the miracles? And where was your mindset? I mean, we talked about humility. We talked about pu- putting our will, God's will before our own, before the miracles happen. So I'd love to hear your story about that. Sure. So I grew up in a family that um, wasn't LDS, and um, but my dad had been LDS. Um, it's a long story, um, and I don't really actually know the whole story because they didn't talk about it much, but my grandfather was excommunicated for some sort of union dispute. That's all I know. Um, but when we were growing up, as we were becoming teenagers, my dad felt like his children needed some sort of religious um, aspect in their lives. And so he had a good friend come and um, bring the missionaries, and um, they taught us, and we were baptized with my mom, who is actually Lutheran before. Um, and so growing up, um, I was actually the only one that ended up being active in my family. I had a sweet beehive president who would not take no for an answer. I gave her (laughs) months and months worth of excuses as to why I couldn't come, and she would not give up. And how old were you? You were a beehive at the time, clearly, Mm -hmm. like 13 or something. 14. 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, She ended up being a dear friend of mine, um, and she's the reason that I really um, sought to be married in the temple. So that was one miracle was meeting her because nobody else in my family was remaining active and she really pushed me to be active in the church. That's awesome. And through uh, going through to seminary is where really I gained my testimony of the Book of Mormon at that time. So that was one miracle that happened in my life. Um, And then I got married. Um, I was 19 when I got married. I waited for a missionary, served a mission in Alabama. And so um, you served a mission? My first husband. No, your first husband served a mission. Served a mission in Alabama. Um, And I waited for him. And then when he got home, we got married in the temple. And we had five children. And we moved around quite a bit um, with his job. And um, along the way, he started to slowly lose his testimony. It was little things like um, not paying tithing anymore um, and then making excuses as to, you know, why he didn't, couldn't go to church that day or whatever. It was little things that added up. And so um, things fell out of order in his life, and we ended up getting divorced, which was devastating for me because um, I thought I had it made with a temple marriage. Isn't that funny? That's the way I felt too. Yeah, it was it's devastated. like we, I learned in my divorce, I've had, gained a testimony of agency. 
Yes. Yeah. And and actually, it's funny that you say that because I remember praying so hard that the Lord would change his heart and not do this. And then it dawned on me one day, the Lord can't change his heart. The Lord can only give him agency. And so the second miracle in that is that I remember praying and talking to my bishop about being able to completely forgive him because I felt like if if we weren't going to be together, I couldn't carry that, the weight of um, having these horrible feelings about the father of my children. And I found I, the miracle that I learned in that eternal principle was that forgiveness was for me. Mm. It didn't relieve him of anything, but it, it relieved me of everything. Yeah. And so that was so such a freeing moment. And so I've learned to, and it's like the prophet says, to quickly forgive and move on. I saw so many people in the single scene when I was single trapped in that hurt and not being able to move forward because they didn't feel like forgiveness was for them. They thought it would relieve the other person of the hurt that it caused. Right. So they would, wouldn't be accountable for the hurt they caused. It's yes. funny how we do that, isn't mm-hmm. it? No, forgiveness is for us, is to help us to heal and to move on Absolutely. and to open the way for them to do the same, to repent and to let go and forgive themselves, and uh, which they have to do. We can't, we can't have control over them by choosing to not forgive, which is kind of what, what, what it feels like is we feel like we have to hold on to that right. so that they'll be accountable. <laughs> That's right. God's job, yes. not Isn't ours. Isn't the difference between justice and mercy? You're yes. justified because you've been wronged. That's justice. And mercy is the, what we really want. So even though you're justified, we've been taught that mercy is the way to go, and we know that we want mercy ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had to give up your hurt you had to surrender that. Mm-hmm. And that was humbling, I'm sure. It was hard. I mean, it was, well, I'll, I'll say it's hard. Um, the Savior took it. I mean, literally took it. I remember one day, I used to, like, all the hurt would come in the morning as I was getting ready for work. I'd be looking in the mirror, and all that would flood back, you know. And I'm sure it was Satan's way of getting me down before I even got going in the morning. And I just remember one day feeling compassion towards him. And thinking, that's interesting. Like, I really Mm. felt like, I hope he's happy, which was so out of the realm of what the hurt and everything. And that's when I knew that forgiveness was coming into my life. Wow. And it it was very freeing. As a matter of fact, I talked to a bishop. um, It was probably after I'd been single, maybe four years or so. And he asked me if there was one advice that you would give to somebody who is in a divorce situation, what would it be? And I would say... Pray for the Savior to help you forgive. It will be it will be the most freeing experience that you've ever had. It won't hold you back anymore, and yeah. it will let you move forward. Because so many people get trapped in that hurt. It's such a trap. It, it is, is a, a trap. trap. Yeah. So that was another miracle. Um, there were some miracles along the way. I had. Um, I really wanted my children to have a relationship with their father. And so there was never any ill speaking of their dad around them. And I I don't feel that way anyway, so I don't do that anyway. But um, as he was losing his testimony and falling away from the church, my boys that were priesthood holders uh, would go and try to get him to come to priesthood or to, you know, it was kind of their way of trying to pull him back into the fold of the church. Um, And he, he did for a little while. He came back for a little while. Um, and then eventually fell back away. But anyways, I do wish him nothing but the best. I hope that, you know, whatever happens in his life works out for him. And at least I hope that the experiences that he's had, he'll learn some eternal things yeah. Yeah. through. That's, that's great. That's really awesome. Your perspective is awesome. And so then the next miracle I had was in the interim, um, when it, it didn't feel like a miracle at the time, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, wow. And so oh. that was about and a year. You were, you were, this was after you were single, mm-hmm. a single mother of five. Yes. Wow. I was a single mother of five. My kids were older. My, my youngest was in high school, but I was trying to stable the ship yeah. with my children. And I really was 
Uh, it was an interesting experience. I had a son who had just returned from his mission. He was serving in West Virginia. And he and I asked him to come and give me a blessing. I think it was before I went in to get the biopsy to find out what kind of cancer. Um, and in my mind, I was like, Trevor could pray and he, and have me healed. Like I really felt like I could be healed if 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 he wanted to. And anyways, his his blessing wasn't that. He did what he was supposed to do, and he followed the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, whatever's going to happen, um, he says you'll be able to get through it. And right away, I just felt in my mind, like, oh, my goodness, what did you just do? Like, you just, I'm going to go through cancer now, you know, because, and I learned such a valuable lesson about aligning your will with the Lord. Wow. Because there are so many things I learned through that whole experience that I would never have learned. Through going through cancer. Yes, going through cancer. So... um, I received a couple of priesthood blessings, um, one from my son, one from my bishop. I literally breezed through cancer treatment. I was down, I was out of, I was wondering how I was going to keep working and then go through cancer treatment. And everything kept lining up as best case scenario. You know, it was small, we caught it early. I only had to do radiation for maybe eight times. Um, the surgery went really well. The plastic surgeon couldn't believe how well I responded. I mean, all these things, which were not me in any way, shape, and form. It was the Savior, you know, carrying me at this time. But, um, and I just remember, um, I only missed one week of work. Wow. So you, early on in your journey with cancer, you learned how to surrender to the will of the Lord. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Can you tell me what were the thoughts? How did your thoughts change or how did your feelings change? What did you do to actually make that transition? So at first I was so angry because I thought this is not fair. I felt like my ex-husband, had he had already remarried. He was moving on with his life and I was stuck with everything that was left behind. Yeah. Cleaning Which it so all up. often, <laughs> I've heard so many people tell the same kind of story, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it really felt unfair. Um, and so then when cancer came, um, I really felt beaten down at that point. And I remember saying some of the most heartfelt prayers that I've said to Heavenly Father about, Heavenly Father, I don't understand why I'm supposed to go through this. I'm like trying to do the right thing here. I'm trying to stable the ship with my children. And, um, and then I thought, um, but if it's your will that I go through this, then please help me learn what it is that I'm supposed to teach other people by my experience. The only way I know how to put it is kind of like to find out what is it I'm supposed to learn through this yeah, experience. Yeah, what am I supposed to learn? Mm-hmm. Instead of pushing against that you're going through it, yes, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And what I learned was, I mean, a couple of things. I've, I learned that there's so much strength in the atonement. It's not all about repentance. It's really about buoying you up. He, you know, he feels everything that you feel. He's gone through everything that you go through. So I really relied on the Savior. You know, the the, um, the poem where you see the one set of footprints, right. I really felt it. I yeah. really felt it at that time. I felt like I was being extremely blessed. It didn't feel like it because you're going through cancer, but I was. My attitude was great. I wasn't sick. Like, it was so much easier to go through cancer than it was to be single. Wow. It really was. Wow. So that was a, such a miracle in my life. Well, it was during this time when Watson first reached out to me. We were both on LDS Planet at the time, which is, some of you won't even know what that is, but it was an older... It's still out there. Is it still yeah, out there? it's still out there. Not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we first met. And I was, he was living in Oregon at the time, and I was living here in, in Utah. So he reached out to me, and he was a really cute guy, but he was from Oregon. And I was going through cancer treatment, and I still had a child in high school and had no intention in moving or trying to... I had one long-distance... Um, I wouldn't even call it a relationship. We just barely started dating. It did not go well. And so I was leery of getting involved with someone that wasn't in the same state that I was. So 
I started dating a guy that we were just really good friends for a long time, for about four years. And the miracle of that experience was that he really helped me through cancer, and he really helped me through the loneliness of my children were leaving the nest, and I really helped him with his two high school-aged daughters that were rebelling um, a little bit against him because he was being very strong-willed with them. So I taught him some things. He taught me some things, and we helped each other through that period of time. And at the end of that period of time, when um, I realized that I didn't think that this relationship was going to go any farther than a friendship, but I was having a hard time moving on because of how I felt about him. I, I got the nerve to just have that frank discussion of, I can't move forward because of how I feel about you, and so I need to know what your feelings are for the future. And he just let me know, quite honestly, that he didn't plan on getting remarried. And so I, we, we are still friends today. I mean, we don't talk a lot or anything, a birthday wish or something. But anyways, I recognized it for what it was. It was Heavenly Father sending someone to help both of us through that time. Wow. I love that. And I've talked about that before, that our dating life is God brings people into our lives to help us, to support us, to teach us. It's an opportunity for growth. That's part of what dating is, mm -hmm. a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So I love that. That's great. And yeah. awesome that you guys were able to be that for one another. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then it was, it was right, it was after I had broken up with him, if you could call it a breakup, um, that I, it was about a week later, and I was really uh, in my lowest um, anxiety, I guess you would say, since the time of my divorce. Um, my children, which I had had in my home, um, had all left the nest. For the first time, I was all alone in my home and feeling very, very alone. And I just remember having a very heartfelt conversation with Heavenly Father and saying, Heavenly Father... If I'm supposed to be single, then please boy me up because this is really hard. But I said, but if you have someone for me, please send him. And a week later, I met Watson. <laughs> <laughs> and it really scared me because I just did not expect a miracle to happen like that quick. Wow. Yeah, it was a week later uh, when we met. And um, anyways, and he was um, a breath of fresh air. We'll put it that way. So did you know right away that there might be something more with him? I recognized something in him that I hadn't seen in some of the others. We had such a, a good connection and good conversation. And my personality is very, very easygoing. And he was such a compliment to that. He didn't try to overpower that. He was very, very peaceful. Um, and it just felt really, it felt great. Um, uh, but I can't say that right away, um, I thought, oh, this is the one, this is the one I'm going to marry. But I knew that I, I liked him very much mm. at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Great. Watson. <laughs> okay. A little bit about me. Born in San Pete County, a little small town in Utah. Moved to Payson when I was just a few weeks old and ended up uh, living there until I was about 16, and then I moved to Provo. Finished high school uh, in, in Provo and graduated. Um, shortly after that, I got married. Um, I was expected to go on a mission, and I did not. I was my dad's namesake, and it broke his heart. had five brothers, four, <clears throat> four of them had already gone on missions. I had one younger brother and uh, really disappointed my father and my family. Uh, got married at 20 years old. Uh, made some really bad choices. Was married 13 years, had four children. Uh, I had not made a good choice in a wife in that we did not agree on most everything. 
as a young man, I based my relationship totally on attraction and looks and didn't, um, was too young to know better. So that marriage ended. Um, shortly after that, uh, a tragedy happened in my family. And it was the um, most horrendous and heart-wrenching thing that has ever happened in my life. And I had a friend who asked me if I'd like to get out of town. And he sent me to Oregon on a, on a big job. I took my family with me, and we got a new start. I was there. Uh, was this a second family, Watson? This is my original family, my four children. Your four children, and you're, you're have, still married to after, this first wife? No, I was divorced. Okay. But it was such a tragedy that it kind of threw me back with my uh, previous wife, and so I moved to Oregon with her and the children and tried to start over. It didn't last very long, a couple of years. We never remarried. We just lived together. I tried to go to church for a little bit, and it didn't work, so I left the church. I decided to go back to the basics and raise my family uh, to be hardworking, honest people. And I believe that I did that. Um, there was a lot of uh, recovery and uh, self-evaluation going on about my family and the tragedy. And I ended up <clears throat> throwing myself into other things, distractions of the world. One was golf. Uh, relationships uh, did did end up splitting with my my wife and and uh, had joint custody with my children. Oregon was very good to me. It gave me a fresh start, and I started from ground zero in my testimony and in my life. Um, but I did fill my life with relationships and with golf, and with, uh, with golf came some drinking. And this went on for some 20 years. I had my, <clears throat> I bought a house on a golf course and was living a pretty cool life, I thought, but there was always something uh, missing in my life. There was a a emptiness that I tried to fill with golf and with uh, a lifestyle that was distracting from the things that I had been taught my whole life. Uh, it led to a drinking problem by socially drinking when I went golfing with what I thought was my friends, which they are. I thought that that was the kind of life I wanted to live. But I couldn't help but to realize there was an emptiness in my heart. Uh, drinking is an oxymoron because it makes you high, but it's actually a depressant. It depletes your body of chemicals that... Uh, make you happy. And so the only way to be happy is to drink more and continue to drink. And it continues to ruin your mind and your body. And so I started suffering from depression, deep depression. At that time, my mother came to live with me. Uh, she was uh, selling her house in Provo 
and my sister was preparing a place for her to live in her basement. She was finishing her basement, so she lived with me for three months. She went to church every week. I would give her a ride. Every week, she'd say the same thing to me. She'd say, Watson, you want to go to church with me? I'd say, no, Mom. I wouldn't be comfortable there, but I will give you a ride. She'd get a ride home, and we'd continue and have the same conversation the next week. This went on for about three months, and then I got trapped because it was Mother's Day. <laughs> and she asked me, and I thought I'd be an awful son if I didn't give my mom something for Mother's Day. So I thought what I'd give her is I'd go to church with her, but I did tell her I won't be comfortable there, and I wasn't. I continued. She <clears throat> went back home after that, and uh, she was a great example to me. She loved me. She didn't judge me. She, uh, her love was unconditional. She, when I'd come home, there'd be fresh baked goods. My clothes would be clean. My house would be clean. I did a nice job for Oregon roses, and they would give me seven do dozen roses, and I'd bring them home to my mom, and I'd do it weekly while I was doing this big job. This <laughs> gal, I told her my mom loved it, so there were roses all over the house. Oh, and Watson, let me interrupt you for just a minute. What is it that you actually do for a living? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. So for a, for a living, I do tile. Okay. The, the so you were helping them with their tile. Yes. Okay. So I was. Uh, I had my own business at that time. I went from the job, which was a veterans hospital uh, in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. And when that was finished, it took a couple of years. Then I started my own business. I loved Oregon. It was a fresh start for me and my family. Great. So anyway, my mother was a great example to me, but I still suffered from depression because alcohol is a depressant. Even though it seems like a stimulant, it's a depressant and it damages you. So I didn't know I had a problem. And the more depressed I got, I finally called my brother who was a, had his PhD in nutrition. And I asked him to send me something for depression. And he says, well, it's Sunday. When I'm depressed, I read the Book of Mormon. He said, but I will UPS you something tomorrow, next day. And I said, well, thank you very much, brother. I didn't want to hear about the Book of Mormon, but I do want the stuff that you'll send me. <laughs> so I hung the phone up, and I'm sitting there in an easy chair. And this is a miracle. I look down, and in front of me is a Book of Mormon. Wow. And I don't have a Book of Mormon. So you did not have a Book of Mormon. I did not have a Book of Mormon. Wow. So this was a little bit haunting. It was definitely a sign. Well, I stared at that sign for, I think, about an hour, not wanting to pick it up. And uh, I was so depressed, and so the Spirit was withdrawn from me so much that I picked the Book of Mormon up. And I read it all night. Wow. And somewhere in Alma, the Spirit bore witness to me that this wasn't written or made up. It was a direct message to me. And so I went to the cupboard where a year earlier my mother had taken me to church and I'm a sentimental guy, so I kept the program. And I flipped it over and found a number for a bishop. I called that number, and it wasn't the bishop. It was another bishop, the new bishop. And I remember calling that number, and it was during the week. And the bishop answered the phone. It was a landline. And he said, come on down, talk to me. When I got there... I noticed he was a contractor. I'm bald. He's bald. He could have been my son. He was young enough. He listened to my story, all the tragedies that I could tell him that had happened in my life, where I was, what I was doing. He didn't give me any counsel. 
He said a very few words, and the words he said were this. Watson, you seem like a good guy. He said, let me put some good people around you and see what happens. Wow. That's all he said. Wow. <sighs> I came out of his office with bloodshot eyes. I'd been there for hours. Out of the clerk's office, during the week, comes this big ward clerk. He should have been wearing bib overalls. He looked like a farmer. <laughs> and he looked right into my eyes. And he said... You look like you need a hug. <laughs> and that big man picked me up off the ground and gave me the sweetest oh hug. Oh, my gosh. His name was Brian. Wow. And I thought, this is pretty cool. Here's the answer to depression. So I didn't really change my life too much, but I did start coming to church. I was living with a girl at the time. I came to church for a couple of weeks, and then they split the ward, and I lost my bishop friend. And so he, he looked me up. He saw that I wasn't at church on Sunday. I skipped a week. He said, you need to go get an appointment with the new bishop. And when I met the new bishop, I, I fought it for a little bit, but I went to see the new bishop. He opened the book. And he said, Watson, are you keeping the commandments? And I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, what are you having trouble with? I said, the word of wisdom and morality. He says, well, let's take care of the easy one. He said, go home and dump out all your alcohol. And I made a bunch of excuses like it wasn't mine, and my buddies from the golf course came by to get their drinks, and I made a fool of myself. So I went home, and... I had a drink, and when I had a drink, the spirit left me. The worst feeling I've ever had in my life, the deepest, darkest, awful feeling. I honestly believe if the spirit of the Lord leaves you completely, you would die. Your heart would stop. You'd be a puddle on the ground, and that's how I felt. So I climbed up in my cupboard. I got all my alcohol, which I had a lot. I had big, beautiful bottles I was going to give to my friends for Christmas. And I dumped every drop out in my backyard. Wow. And when the last bottle was empty, the ache in my heart stopped. The craving for alcohol stopped. And I looked straight in the sky and I spoke out loud. And I said, Thank you, Father. I promise you, if you'll keep this from me, I'll never taste it again. Because I know you took it and I know you could give it back at any second. And I don't want it. So we made that deal, and I learned that day about the atonement. And it's what Carrie said. It's this enabling power. It's an invisible power that comes with the atonement. And I don't believe I ever knew about it. I always thought the atonement was about repentance. And forgiveness, I never knew the power that was in the atonement. I learned it that day. I think I was 50 years old. And I'd been taught my whole life about the atonement, never understood it. So, I used the atonement to conquer my other problem, which was morality. I asked my girlfriend of three years to please move out. And she told me I wasn't any fun because I didn't drink anymore. So I used the principles that I learned from alcohol and the enabling power of the atonement to make your weakest things your strongest things. And I conquered morality. 
Wow. And I gave those desires and passions to my Savior the same way that I did my alcoholism. And I've applied that atonement and that enabling power many times in my life since as I come across things that are temptations. If I give them to the Savior first and then repent, I think that's the proper order, is to first ask for help and give away your sins And then you can truly repent and give the credit to our Savior. So that's kind of who I am. Shortly after that, I got on LDS Planet and began dating girls that were more suitable to church-going girls. And my experience was this. The first 10 girls I contacted on LDS Planet, every one of them, I'm saying 10 out of 10, had a story about their husbands being addicted to pornography and how it destroyed their family. Wow. I'm saying 10 out of 10, and I'm not kidding. You'd see these pretty girls with little kids. How could a man possibly leave this family? And so I made a promise to myself at that time that if I ever met a man who was struggling with pornography, to reach out to him, to teach him what I had learned about morality and how to get rid of that problem, and the steps that you take to give it to the Savior and to give him credit. And so I have done that and kept that promise. Shortly after that, I reached out to Carrie. And in the meantime, I was realizing that I thought I would never return to church, that I didn't think I would ever fit there again. But as I made changes in my life, I fit back into that, what I call the bubble, (laughs) perfectly. When I was experimenting with things of the world, I felt like I'd been out in the world and could never go back to the simple life of the gospel. I wished that things were that simple. And when you're out there distracted... It seems impossible to come back, and I remember having that feeling. But the ace in the hole that I had is I had a family who loved me, and I had a place to go. When I made those changes, they welcomed me back to church and into the gospel with open arms. And they forgave me. They didn't judge me. They were so happy that I'd found repentance and found my testimony. And shortly after that, I got an opportunity to work on a temple, which was on my bucket list because I'd read an account of my great-grandpa working as a child on the Nauvoo Temple with his father and his family. That's how they paid their tithing. Every tenth day, they'd spend the whole day at the temple. The whole family would do what they could do. And then as an adult with his children, they ended up in Manti, very close to where I was born, and they would pay their tithing by working on the temple. And so I wanted to work on the temple, and I'd been to conference and heard President Monson announce some temples. So that was a desire of mine. And that's another miracle. How it happened, I'll tell you really quickly. The very man who sent me to Oregon on a job, his son-in-law was the lead tile setter and supervisor of the tile on the Brigham City Temple. 
So I reached back to him. I still had his contact, or I reached out and got his contact. And I called him up and he said, Watson, I haven't heard from you for like 30 years. <laughs> he says, what do you want? I says, I want to work on the Brigham City Temple. He said, well, my son-in-law just called and they're having some trouble up there and they could sure use some good tile help. I said, well, I think I'm going to just grab my tools and come on down. So I turned my business over to uh, two sons. Uh, within a week, I was in Salt Lake with a place to stay, found a place to stay. I went and interviewed for the job. And I come to find out, uh, I don't know how this happened exactly other than divine intervention. I jumped, I leapfrogged 50 men that were in line for my job. And I was working on the Brigham City Temple. Mm, wow. Now, shortly after that, I contacted Carrie again. And she actually responded back to me because her profile had changed. And for some reason, she put on her profile, very simply, my heroes honor their priesthood. And I reached back to her and said, I want to be your hero. I live in Utah <laughs> now. That. And I build temples. Now, that's a great pickup line. <laughs> I got immediate line. response and had a date. Uh, when Carrie uh, jumped in my car, we were going to go to dinner, and wherever it was, she arrived earlier and said there was a long wait, so we decided to go somewhere else, but she jumped into my car. After meeting me through the window for a minute, uh, she felt comfortable jumping in the car, and uh, we hit it off immediately. I just loved... Uh, her voice, I loved her presence, I loved her uh, kindness, her patience. Uh, she was a great listener, and I'm a great talker. <laughs> so anyway, we, we hit it off, and I, I, I knew that I had someone special in my car right away. So that's how we met. On uh, LDS Planet, it has a place that says you have a temp your temple recommended, and uh, both of ours were marked there. And she asked me uh, if I was, and I said, yes, I am. And I said, I'll, uh, let's make that our second date. So we did. The reason that Carrie put that on her profile is she had many dates of men who professed to have a temple recommend who were wolves in sheep's clothing, they were not keeping their covenants. And uh, when she put that on there, that uh, put a stop to that. And so um, that's how I get, got a date. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so anyway, th the story goes on from there with many other miracles about how we actually got married in the Brigham City Temple. Our story, including mine coming from Oregon, and us meeting the way we did. Uh, the last thing that I tiled in the Brigham City Temple was the bridal suite. I was madly in love, and I was putting her name in a heart in the mud under the tile with her initials and all these things, and uh, I would squish the tile down into that mud, and I was telling her I was putting her name in the temple permanently. <laughs> and when we finally uh, got married... Uh, we had to put our papers in, and it has to be signed by the First Presidency at that time. Um, and by then, the Brigham City Temple did open. I told her, I said, Carrie, if you go down by Queen Esther and get ready on that end of, you, of the bridal suite, you'll be standing on the name, your own name, in a heart that I drew for you. And it was a sweet day. And uh, that's the happy ending. And I just want to say that I know that I have potential because the good Lord trusts me with Carrie. And she's my best friend. And I love, I love her so much. And I do anything she says. <laughs> Is that true, Carrie? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> He still has oh, work 
work to do. <laughs> I still have work to do. But my desire is to do things for her because I love her and I don't want her to have to do them. If I have a chore, I try to do it so that she doesn't have to do it. Oh, and that's, that's sweet. a whole different uh, angle to marriage than I've ever had in my life. It's always been a drudgery, but the dishes are kind of fun, actually, with Carrie. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, Watson, when you and I were talking before this interview, you said something that I think was really important, and that was that you guys weren't ready to be with each other before. You both had things to learn before you were ready for this relationship. And I, I appreciate that because um, someone close to me right now is going through her third divorce, and she now has a perspective that this is the path I'm supposed to be on. I have things to learn, and I am learning them this time. I am, I am getting ready. And I think we look at our past experiences, and like you said, you wouldn't have been ready to be with Carrie years ago. It never would have stuck. It wouldn't have happened. No. And if I would have talked her into marrying me, I don't think in my old ways, and not just the drinking or the morality, it's just the whole personality change. And it and it goes back to giving yourself to the Lord, you know. Turning it, yourself it, over. Yes. Turning your will and, over. And that happened to me the day I found that Book of Mormon, and it was my niece who had left it. She had an extra Book of Mormon in her car, and she had visited me. And she just kind of and she, thought she'd no, leave it there. No, nope, she didn't know it was there. I called her and she says, well, I have one in my car. I think it's still there. And she went out and she says, no, it's not. I left it there. So she oh, didn't Oh, she, she didn't, didn't purposefully leave it. No. Oh. oh, she knew I wouldn't read it. She knew yeah. I didn't. And the Lord prepared me to read it. And I'm so glad. It's the corner. It's is the, I should know this. I'm a tile man. The <laughs> keystone. <laughs> It's the center, and, and if, if it holds, everything else in the gospel holds, and that's why it's the keystone, because it has such power, and that's why we have it. It's those crying from the dust to tell us not to make the mistakes that they made, and it's not just a bunch, a bunch of wars and stuff. It is lessons in every chapter about life and about the things we need to do to prepare to meet God. Thank you, Watson, for your testimony. That is so inspiring. I feel it. You know, I'm going to tell our listeners that we've had quite the time getting this recorded today. And I feel like in my idea, I had different things for you to share, but I hadn't heard your whole story, that both of you. And I really feel like this is what we needed to talk about today. Is there anything that you, Carrie or Watson, would like to share with those who are in the trenches, dating, struggling maybe with their testimony or, you know, their life right now? Is there anything you want to leave for them, any amount of inspiration or something that nugget that you've learned that you think might be helpful that maybe we haven't said yet? Well, I would like to say, as you go through your trials, you need to embrace them. Embrace your trials because they're uh, what will make you who you are. And I just uh, know there's a plan. And that plan is uh, not an accident. Um, I uh, A prayer is so funny. Before we started, you said something. Uh, Peggy, about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. At one point, I had a blessing from my uh, stake president, and I asked him, I said, I want to meet a good girl. Uh, through the process of coming back to church, I had to go through a church court, uh, rebaptized, uh, had to have, a, uh, at that time, it was an apostle. Now it was a 70 uh, that was visiting in Oregon, had to restore my priesthood blessings. And he gave me that blessing, and I I said, I want to meet a good girl. And he says, Watson, I'll put my hands on your head, and whatever the Spirit says, I'm going to say. 
And that's the very words he said. I bless you, Watson, that you'll be in the right place at the right time. And I was kind of thinking he didn't give me what I wanted. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it. And that covers just about everything. Sure does, doesn't it? And I, and so I've incorporated that into my prayers almost every day. I'll say, Lord, help me to be in the right place at the right time today and help me to serve you and help me to help others. And when you do that, you can't believe what... If you recognize it and you'll stop your busy day and actually take a moment, uh, the things that will happen, the miracles that will happen in your life, and you have to recognize even the smallest ones, and if you do, they'll happen more frequently and more often. The angels in heaven who put those miracles in front of you and, and our Heavenly Father who orchestrates this whole thing you said something last week in your about gratitude. Gratitude, it was President Monson. He said, gratitude is one of the greatest virtues. So ingratitude must be one of the worst sins. And I believe that mm. it is. That gratitude, even the smallest thing, I say it out loud. If I'm alone and something happens good, I'm laying a tile and I don't have to cut it and it flops in there full, I say thank you out loud. And if I'm not... Alone, I say it in my heart, in my mind, for the smallest of things that make my life easier every day, when that green light changes before I get there, when that parking spot opens right where I need it and it's the best one, I always say out loud if I'm alone, thank you. And recognize all the little tender mercies. And if you do that, they'll happen more often, I, I believe um, for me, what I would say is there was a few things that helped me along my path. And one was um, there was a great book out there by Kristen Oaks. Um, it's Dallin H. Oaks's second wife, and it was called A Single Voice. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, when I was trying to purchase the home that we're in now, it was a very scary thing for me um, to be in a mortgage by myself. Um, and in this book, she talks about the process of aligning her will with Heavenly Father, and that he wants us to progress and move forward. And I remember being very nervous about it, but having read that, I remember thinking, I need to be moving forward. And so I would say if there's anything that you can evaluate in your own life, whether it's forgiving someone or whether you're afraid, um, use these experiences to help you move forward. So uh, say to yourself, what am I to learn from this experience that I'm going through? And then overcome that obstacle. If it's whatever's holding you back, give it up to the Savior and move forward. And that's what I would say. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you so much for sharing your hearts and your stories and your testimony, stories and story and your testimonies with us. It's so inspiring to me. Um, on my journey, not just, you know, on my journey, having been married before and now being single and dating. Um, I just think it's so inspiring for us to share with one another the journeys that we've been on mm -hmm. and, and how God is in the details. And as we submit our will to his, we can find joy and success and happiness yeah. in that. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it inspired you on your dating journey. Please share this with anyone you think might benefit from what you've heard today and click the button to follow us. You can reach either Sharon or I at datetoyourpotential.com. We work with people who are single or married. We want you to know you are not alone. We support you. We are in this with you.